My belief is that when you don't talk about money, when you don't talk about it with your your family, your parents, your kids, how are you ever going to learn to make better financial choices? To not feel overwhelmed or scared of, of broaching those topics, I think, is one of the reasons that so many people end up making poor choices is they don't feel comfortable asking anybody for the answer. Welcome to Mission Critical, a podcast about the big picture, the purpose, and the values that drive today's most game-changing companies, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm your host, Lance Chung, Editor-in-Chief of Bay Street Bull, and I'll be introducing you to a group of brilliant minds who are making an impact on the world and forging the path ahead. While they may all be very different from one another, the question remains the same. What's your mission? We're at the beginning of a new year, and as a standard for this time, there are many conversations that we tend to have around topics of reflection and resolution. Conversations which inevitably end up on the subject of money. How to manage it better, spend less of it, make more of it, save more of it. But talking about money can often feel taboo when really it should feel empowering. For many, personal finance is a topic that is approached with trepidation and remains an uncomfortable subject matter. When Michael Katchen arrived on the scene back in 2014 with his new fintech investing startup Simple, he had lofty dreams of simplifying a relationship with money. Fast forward six short years and Simple has become a certified unicorn company with a valuation of $1.4 billion. And while they've certainly come a long way, the mission has stayed the same, to bring a sense of humanity to finance. On today's episode, I'm chatting with Michael about the biggest challenges when it comes to financial literacy what it means to be a human-centered brand, and how we can all be more comfortable talking about money. Mike, thank you so much for hopping on this uh, episode with us. We're so happy to be chatting again. How are you? I'm great. Yeah, really good. Thank you so much for having me. I wanted to start with values. On the Simple website, I was looking through a section that talks about your values, and one stuck out to me. The value is, you know, forever in beta. How does your company embody that and what does that mean? Yeah, it's a cool concept. I mean, we believe that the way you build really amazing products that people love is you launch them really early and you keep iterating on them uh, based on feedback, the way people use them, and that process never ends. And my favorite story to give you an example of of just how far we like to push that when I say that you can always do better, better and the process never ends is a few years ago, probably around the time you and I last talked, we were very fortunate to win a Webby Award, which is like the Oscars of the internet, as the best financial services website in the world. And I think if most companies won that award, they would congratulate themselves, they would congratulate their design team, and they'd probably, you know, maybe even change the website to say Webby Award winning website, well, simple. But what we did is the day after winning the award, we came back to the office and decided to tear it down and start from scratch because we knew we could do it better. We had more data, more insights that could inform a better version of it. And uh, we decided to do that. And uh, we were fortunate that the next year with the brand new website, we won the award again as the best in the world. And uh, I love to tell that story because I think that's what forever in beta means. It means even best in class is not, is not the best you can do. I had a similar chat with Joey Zwillinger, who's the CEO at, um, 
Allbirds. And we had this discussion around this concept around progress versus perfection. And does perfection inhibit process or can it be a hurdle to progress? Have you found that to be, I guess, kind of associated with this forever and beta value in that, you know, just to kind of put it out there and continue building on it and evolving it versus, you know, waiting for the perfect moment or the perfect time to release something? You know, for entrepreneurs, I often see making this mistake, which is uh, to try to wait until the product feels perfect to launch. And we subscribe to a a Y Combinator, which is this startup incubator VC uh, accelerator in in San Francisco or the Valley, which is the importance of launching early. And and the founder of that program, a guy named Paul Graham, has this really wonderful saying that we like, which is, um, you should be embarrassed of the first version of the product you put out into the world. Because if you're not embarrassed, you've waited too long. Because really, you know, your view of what perfection is, is really tunnel vision. It's not until you actually put in front of users or clients and start seeing how people use something that you can learn what they want and how to evolve your product. And I I love what you just said uh, from the Allbird CEO. Progress, in my mind, is so much more important than perfection. For sure. On the site, there's a lot of verbiage around a human approach to money and banking, you know, which is a little bit ironic given that Will Simple utilizes artificial intelligence and is a robo-investing platform and is so technology-driven. So in your perspective and as a company, what does it mean to be human-centered? It's funny because we've been fighting this battle since we launched the company and people used to call us a robo-advisor. And we talk about we're building the most human way to invest and manage your finances and do your taxes. And yet we couldn't shake that term. And for us, what human is, is, is really two things. It's one in the brand. And trying to create the most human lifestyle brand about money, which really just tries to talk in plain language, be simple, understand that money is this incredibly emotional thing for people, that being smart about money is the way people live the lives they want, provide the lives they want for their families, and telling honest stories about that to make it feel resonant, rather than the way the industry typically likes to do this, which is make it feel complicated and overwhelming and scary which usually puts people off from wanting to pay attention to it. And so one was bringing humanity to the brand so that people would actually want to pay attention and start making better choices. And then the second is using technology to humanize the way we manage our finances. In the traditional finance world in in banks, to open up investment accounts or to open up banking accounts, you often have to go to the bank branch. And while it's nice to be face-to-face with a human, it doesn't really work with our schedule and the way we like to use products today as human beings. And so using technology to automate it, to enable you to open up an account from your phone in minutes um, without paperwork, all of that, you know, we think restores humanity to the financial services system by making it feel human and easy, uh, just like any product we'd want to use in our daily lives. And so that's how we think about it is, is kind of automate what you can with technology so that we can free up humans to be there when you need them. Um, to talk about money, uh, to help you make better financial choices and ultimately achieve better financial outcomes. Building on that, ultimately, what is your, and by extension, well, Simple's philosophy around money, investing, saving, and I guess in a bigger picture sense, the culture around how we talk about money? Well, I think one of the big problems is most people don't talk about money. You know, one of our brand campaigns we ran a few years ago, we called it Investing for Humans which was trying to tell honest stories about money with this idea of breaking this taboo, making it okay to talk to people about 
the highs and lows, the stresses, the, you know, um, the wins that people have when it comes to money. Because my belief is that when you don't talk about money, if you don't talk about it with your, your family, your parents, your, your kids, how are you ever going to learn to make better financial choices, to not feel overwhelmed or scared of, of broaching those topics, I think is one of the reasons that so many people end up making poor choices is they don't feel comfortable asking anybody for the answer. Uh, they feel embarrassed not knowing. But the reality is most people feel that way. And I think one of the things we're trying to do is, is make it okay. Make it okay to be honest, to have those sorts of discussions, because ultimately why we exist at Simple is because of this belief that everybody should have access to the best financial tools. And it shouldn't be that you only get access if you have a lot of money, because access to the best financial tools and making good financial decisions is the way that you enable yourself to live that life you want and provide that life you want for your family. And ultimately, we think that's a really, really powerful force for good. Earlier in the fall of this year, 2020, WellSimple announced that it raised Canadian $140 million on a valuation of $1.4 billion, if I'm correct, um, which propelled you guys as a company to unicorn status, which is incredible. Another great Canadian success story. What does it mean to achieve a milestone like that, having just operated and you know having your headquarters in Canada? I mean, it's exciting. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, there aren't all too many Canadian technology companies that really achieve really large scale. And I hope that um, this is just one of many more to come. You know, I, I am a firm believer that Canada needs more really successful technology companies to preserve the prosperity we enjoy here in this country. You know, if you think about it, Canada, we do two things, right? We, we pull things out of the ground and we finance that activity. And that's basically the entire story of our economy today. And I think if that's the story we tell ourselves in 20 years, uh, we're in deep trouble. So we kind of have this necessity of uh, diversifying our economy. And I believe that technology is one of the great ways that we can do that and ensure our prosperity for generations to come. So we're, we're super excited because it is, it is a rare thing here, but I hope it's something that becomes less and less rare. Uh, at the same time, you know, we're just getting started. It's incredible to have seen the company evolve and grow and, you know, especially when we spoke, you know, three years ago when you were on a cover and to see how much you've grown as a company since then and continue to grow. It's, it's honestly very, very exciting to see that and to see that coming from Canada and not having to move to the Valley or to New York and to be able to stay within our borders and be successful and, you know, do everything that you wanted to do. So circling back to accessibility, your note on that, you know, there's this emphasis around democratizing finance and providing equal access to services and resources that might traditionally only be reserved for, you know, a certain group of people. Where do your social values intersect with the company's overall function and purpose? I would say that kind of my personal values that I hold in like the highest regard uh, for society, not, not necessarily for me as an individual, but for a society that I'd want to be a part of, is one that creates access. And I think you're seeing all sorts of new words for this, uh, you know, not necessarily new words, but other powerful words around equity um, and access these days. But in my mind, a society that gives everybody access to the same starting line and access to the same set of opportunities is one that I think is, is just an incredibly inspiring kind of thing to think about. 
And to me, that really comes down to a few things. I mean, one is access to healthcare, access to education, access to safety. And it also comes down to access to the best financial tools, because there's no question that having you know, uh, a strong financial foundation provides access to all sorts of opportunity, whether that be education for yourself or your loved ones, whether that be building the sort of life you want for yourself, uh, access to homes and, and all the rest of it. And, and we see ourselves as playing an important role of, of using technology to make those really smart financial tools accessible to everybody. We can't uh, achieve that kind of society I was just talking about unless, unless all those things have uh, become accessible. And we, we see ourselves as playing a small role in that. Well, and there's also a focus on education because I was doing some research and came across the Wealth Simple Foundation, and that focuses on education. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. It's it's an extension of that same mission into the education space. Where, you know, I, I mentioned already that I think Canada has this necessity to build its technology ecosystem and knowledge based industries in the economy and. We think the best way to do that is by giving every Canadian kid access to education savings. And it's it's a, one of those really amazing opportunities here in Canada because we have these really wonderful government programs available to every child, no matter where you come from. You know, if you're not someone that can afford to contribute to an RESP, a registered education savings plan, uh, the government will give you free money as part of a program called the Canada Learning Bond towards your education. And this is an amazing program that's been around for almost two decades, and yet you know, two thirds of the eligible kids in this country don't use it. And as the only company offering a digital RSP in Canada, we, we saw ourselves as positioned to like make a real impact on this issue. And so we've launched this, um, this foundation to help every Canadian child get access to the RSP and all the government grants available to them. We manage them for free uh, with the goal of, of making sure that every kid and the 2 million kids that, that aren't using this grant today, uh, make sure that they have funds for their education over the long term. And as with many things, it starts with education in order to kind of have social mobility and, and access to resources and networks and things. Exactly. I mean, the results of this program are, are amazing for the kids that, that have taken advantage of it historically. It just, it changes outcomes. You can imagine if you come from a family where no one's gone to school before and you don't have role models that have pursued higher education and you've grown up believing that that might not be possible for you either, where suddenly you now have you know, $2,500 sitting in an account in your name that says you can make this possible. You know, that kind of belief uh, in yourself really transforms the trajectory of people's lives. And uh, that, that's why we think it's such an amazing cause and something we're, we're so excited to put our, our energy behind. Now, transparency seems to be a core pillar of the brand. And part of that is having a very honest dialogue and conversation with customers about personal finance. Know, particularly millennials, and acknowledging that it's okay not to know how to navigate your finances sometimes, and it's about you know taking the first step. What do you think is the biggest challenge when it comes to financial literacy and confidence in your experience as a company working with your clients? Yeah, I'm, we might have somewhat of like a controversial point of view on this. <laughs> you know, it's it's like one of these backwards things in my mind. Whereas the reason we need so much financial literacy education is because the industry has made products that are just too complicated. And so the industry has to then invest in these financial literacy programs to educate people about how to use these complicated products. And really what we should be doing as an industry is just build better products, make them simpler, make them more transparent, empower people to make better decisions. And that's where I think we really try to focus is making products that are so intuitive and easy to understand 
you don't then need a, a bigger financial literacy program to help people change their behaviors or course as a result of that. And there's a place for education too. You know, this this isn't being totally naive to that fact, but um, our belief is that it really, uh, the industry needs to play a bigger part in, in building more simple and more transparent products. According to Michael, there needs to be a paradigm shift in the conversations we have about personal finance if we really want to change the culture and taboo around money. Especially for young people who are entering the careers, setting up goals that may not be realized for decades is not relatable or, to be frank, interesting. It involves changing our language and behavior to get people, particularly young people, excited, inspired, motivated. Michael's thesis is to focus a little less on returns and more on values. What kind of future do we want to build for ourselves and also our society? And how can we use our dollars as a vessel for change? That's the problem he's trying to solve. I mean, on top of education and providing better technological products, how much of financial confidence and well-being is attributed to behavior and perspective? I was reading a report by the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada, and outside of very low or very high incomes, they reported that financial well-being is impacted more by behavior than economic factors. Have you found that to be true in your own experience? And and by behaviors, I think they're referring to, you know, people who actively save your attitude towards borrowing and those with a little bit more of a long-term view and, and planning. I mean, for, for sure. There's no question that um, some of the most powerful forces in, fin- in finance are, are hard to grasp. You know, take compound interest as an example. You know, there's all these beautiful sayings over the years, which I think are mostly not true in terms of who said them, but people say things like Albert Einstein called compound interest, you know, the eighth wonder of the world. I don't think he actually said that, but uh, <laughs> a really powerful thing, which is our minds typically think of things in terms of linear growth. You know, you add $100 a week or $100 a month to an investment account, and you imagine it's just going to keep growing at $100 a month forever. But when you add an, a compound interest rate on top of that, uh, the snowball effect is just incredible. And it's hard to really grasp the magnitude of that change over a decade or two or three, but it's really powerful. And that's why behaviors matter so much. You know, the behavior of starting to save and invest early and doing it in small ways, just getting started and starting to practice that discipline and that behavior over the long term really can make a meaningful difference in people's long term outcomes. And also, you know, just the importance of discipline in this thing. We see a lot of people over this last year, given the volatility, you know, panic when the pandemic hit and thinking that markets were going to really tank, deciding to sell at the worst times versus those that remain disciplined, you know, through the ups and downs over the last year. And discipline has been shown time and time again to be the thing that really separates successful investors, successful savers from everybody else over the long term. And so it really, behaviors matter a lot. Uh, And I can't stress enough the importance of being smart to start as early as you can uh, when it comes to saving and investing and, and practicing those good behaviors and disciplines. And building on behavior, and talking about the culture around money and the conversations we have around money, how do you think we can change the language around 
financial literacy and talking about money, which is such a sensitive topic for so many people. It's almost taboo in in some instances, and especially in times of like COVID and, you know, trying to gauge how the markets are going to react as a result of that. How can we make conversations around money easier between our colleagues, our friends, our our network and our kind of circle of people around us? One of the challenges that the financial literacy movement has faced over the years is its obsession with retirement. You know, usually the language that we use to talk to folks we care about, about the importance of saving and investing is about this idea of you need to be in a place to retire. The challenge of that, especially when you're trying to speak to young people, is it doesn't resonate. You know, it's so far away. If you're just entering your career, you know, we're talking about maybe 40 years or more away from now. And and to me, we need to come up with a new paradigm of how to talk to people about money and, and help inspire those better choices and better behaviors. And, you know, some ideas include making everybody an investor. So, um, you know, to start, to have a portfolio, to have some money at work in the markets. If you're young, you know, uh, you have this RESP program, uh, which every Canadian child from a low-income family is eligible for. So really, no matter where you sit on the income spectrum, like there is no excuse for not everybody having kind of an RESP open, which I believe is one of the greatest tools we could be using for financial literacy is, is getting our kids invested. Um, and then also, I think, changing the language we use to talk about money. And so, you know, historically, the way you talk about money is all in terms of returns. You know, how much money are you planning to make or expected to make in the markets? And I think one of the things we're trying to evolve is introduce values to that conversation as well. So we're really proud that, you know, several years ago, we launched uh, one of the first socially responsible investment solutions in the country. And over the last several years, we've worked to iterate on that to make it better, more relevant for people so that when you think about your investments, you're not only doing it to make money, but you're also doing it to invest in the future that you'd like to see for yourself and your kids someday. Yeah, you're voting with your dollars, essentially. Exactly. Voting with your dollars. And um, we think that there's a lot of um, just an incredible future for socially responsible investing where uh, where folks start to take a broader perspective about their investments. It's not just about profit, but it can be about values. Uh, it can be about social issues uh, and all sorts of things over time. Now, some of the conversation around investing can sometimes center around these like very buzzy brands, very sensational aspects of the the industry. You have people talking about the Teslas and the Amazons and everything. And that's all very well and exciting. And there's a lot of movement and you know it's exciting to kind of look at how that evolves and everything. But how do we get people excited about finances outside of these buzzy companies and conversations? And how do we get people excited about maybe sometimes some of the more boring aspects of investing as well? Yeah. It's funny. We, we always talk about how there's two types of products in the world, right? There's vitamins and bandages. <laughs> and we sell a vitamin, you know, for the most part. You, you should really invest. You should start doing it. It's good for you. In 30 years, you'll thank us. It's really hard to sell vitamins. Bandages are easy, you know. Hey, Lance, you know, I see you're bleeding from the neck. This bandage is going to save your life. You'll buy that from me every day of the week, and I can charge you whatever the hell I want for it, right? Um Whereas we try and convince people to do something that's boring and good for them. And uh, it's hard. But I think one of the ways that we're trying to do it is introduce new ways to get people excited about investing. 
And the most important thing is to start getting excited about investing. And we can then take you on a learning journey to get smarter and more disciplined and, and you know, maybe broader in your perspective over time. So our, our product, Well Simple Trade, which lets people buy and sell their own stocks, that you can consider kind of the sexier part of our service where people do like to come and trade those really flashy names like, you know, cannabis or crypto or, you know, um, tech stocks. And we don't judge that, you know, people can get excited and start investing no matter what path they take. But we do encourage people to think about, you know, that money in their trade accounts is play money as, you know, where they can scratch that itch of, of FOMO. Everybody at, off, at the office is talking about cannabis. I want to have a little bit of cannabis in my portfolio. But to trust us with kind of their broader, more disciplined, more important long-term savings as the core versus kind of that, that play money account that, um, that maybe is a little bit more fun. And so that's another way that we're trying to kind of broaden people's perspective that you can have both of those things in parallel and trick yourself, you know, um, where you put most of your money in this boring strategy over the long term and, and a little bit you keep back for that scratch that itch, that play money itch. For sure. Okay, so last question here. You know, we have a podcast that's called Mission Critical, and it's really focusing on purpose and bigger picture and thinking, long-term purpose. So at the end of the day, what would you say is your mission? Um, what's the big picture and what's the purpose? Yeah, I mean, our, our purpose is to help everybody get access to financial freedom. You know, the, the dean of Harvard a few years ago said this more beautifully than I could, and I've said little bits of it throughout our talk today, but he said, there is no greater form of dignity that you can offer another human being than financial freedom. Because really all that is, is choice. It's the choice to live the life you want and provide the life you want for your family. And we have adopted that as, as our purpose. We, we see financial freedom as one of the great forces for good on the planet. And the role that we want to play in that is building the tools that help people achieve financial freedom and make them accessible make them transparent, make them low fee. And so today we have our investment product, our trading product, you know, our um, checking and savings account replacement and our tax business. And those are just four of the first building blocks as we try to build you know, our client's primary financial relationship and help them navigate the myriad of choices they'll face over the lifetime and ultimately help them achieve better outcomes as a result of that. That's incredible. And it's, as I said, exciting to see what you're building. So Thank you so much for the chat today. It's been very insightful and it's lovely to be able to catch up with you again. And um, we're, we're going to continue to watch and observe and see how you guys grow and change the world. Thanks so much for having me, Lance. It was fun to catch up. What does it mean to make money more human? When it comes to the conversations we have on the matter, it's first and foremost about making us more comfortable with talking about our money and by extension, our future. It's about acknowledging that it's okay to be confused and scared to talk about money and investing and that we all have to start somewhere. But making money more human is also about building bridges by increasing access to resources, education, and investing solutions that are socially responsible. Solutions that make us feel good and align with our values. According to Michael and Simple, that's where we need to start. On the next episode of Mission Critical, we're speaking with Manjeet Minhas, a dragon on the hit show Dragon's Den, 
and CEO of Minhas Breweries, Distilleries, and Wineries about what it takes to nurture and grow a family business. We use courage in order to get uncomfortable and to learn something new and to push through it and to know that it's not always going to work and we're always not going to be great at something. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd appreciate it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts so we can get the word out. To keep up to date, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, ask yourself, what's your mission?